Alright, Romans chapter 14 tonight. Romans chapter 14. This is a chapter that I've definitely preached out of uh, more than once in the past, but it's definitely a chapter that's worth repeating because there are some very important lessons. We are in the portion of Romans where Paul is speaking to the saved and he is beseeching those who are saved that to do certain things. And we saw in chapters 1 through 8, we got all the nuts and bolts when it comes to salvation, showing how salvation is free, without works. It's 100% permanent. And it does not affect salvation. is not affected by our performance of the law. It is not proved by our performance of the law. In chapters 9 through 11, he talks about Israel and how even they can still be saved if they will believe. And and then, in chapter 12, he starts preaching to the saved, beseeching them to do some things as believers. And that's what we do. As a, That's what one of my jobs as a pastor. I'm trying to get saved people to do some things for God. And that's what we do as a church. One of the reasons we come together is because we are trying to push each other and provoke each other to love and good works. Even though we are saved we are still prone to wander. We're still prone to backsliding. We're still prone to sin. And we need people in our lives to give us a good old-fashioned kick in the pants every once in a while and straighten us out and to keep us on the right path. We all need it. Everybody needs it. And if you think you're so spiritual that you don't need it, well, then you know what? If you're right, and I kind of doubt that you are, but if you're right, then we really need you in the church to help the rest of us who are uh, prone to stray every now and then. We, we have to have it. So just every saved person should be in church. Not every saved person is in church. There are many people who are on their way to heaven and they are not in church. And unfortunately, because they are not being obedient, they're not accomplishing anything for God. They're not being fruitful. They're not pleasing the Lord by that. But understand, when we are preaching in church, when Paul's writing to a church, you know, we assume we're talking to people who have a desire to serve the Lord, who have a desire to be obedient, who are like the one of ten who came back to give glory to God after being cleansed from their leprosy. They all got cleansed from their leprosy, but only one returned giving glory to God. And that's what we are as a church. We are a, a group of people who have been cleansed, as many others have been cleansed, but we're coming back trying to give glory to God and say, you know what, I'm thankful for my salvation and I'd like to do something for the Lord. I'd like to be a disciple of His. I'd like to be a follower of His. And so, as a, as a pastor, one of the things that I do and any pastor worth two cents does is they regularly get up in church and they blast everybody about their sins and they regularly rip face and try to get people to be good and to do the things that the Bible says they should do. Now, we've got a whole new brand of Christians, if you want to call them that, who have invented a word called legalism that is not a word in the Bible, and they need to use a word that's not in the Bible because what they are accusing us of doing is not a sin they can find in the Bible. So they have made up a new word, legalism. They've attached a definition to it and then claimed that those of us who preach to people that are saved, that they ought to live a certain way, we're a bunch of legalists. But no, this is just us telling people how to be a disciple of Christ, how to be a follower of Christ. We are, but here's why they say this kind of thing. Anybody who claims preaching against sin, you know, pushing people to do right, having standards in your church, anyone who preaches that as legalism is in reality probably someone who actually believes in work salvation. That's all there is to it. They are people who believe you prove your salvation by your works. You know, if you're truly saved, you'll have the good works. Faith without works is dead. I mean, these are, and nobody says they believe work salvation. Even Catholics don't say they believe work salvation. But we all know Catholics believe in work salvation. There's no doubt about that. And the people screaming legalism typically believe in that too. In fact, some of the biggest trendies I know, some have been very critical of me, publicly critical of me, done a whole podcast going through one of my videos on repentance while they preached a hardcore, you must repent of your sins in order to be saved. And they call me a legalist. Think about that. 
They call me the legalist. It, 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 blows, it just blows my mind. But understand, we are not, you know, they're not, they're not able to separate teaching on salvation from teaching for the believer and teaching towards discipleship. They don't know how to do that because they, they don't have salvation. They don't have a true love for God and a true appreciation for what has been done. And all we're doing is we go to the scriptures. We even go to the law. It's like, hey, you know what? If God hated that back then, I think he still hates it today. I'm not trying to get saved by not doing these things. But it is very clear from reading the scriptures that God hates fornication. God hates adultery. God hates sexual sin. So you know what? Why don't we teach people who are saved, who are supposed to be loving the Lord, not to do those things? That's not legalism. That's just biblical. It's discipleship. That's, that's all there is to it. And so, you know, I, and I do, when I hear these people say stuff like legalism, I just kind of smile inside and think, it's because you haven't got a Bible word to nail me with. That's, that's why they do these things. And so, passages that we're about to read, these are ones that will be received by people who love the Lord, desire to serve Him, and love Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is what we've been commanded to do. And so, um, that if a church is just commanding the people in it to do these things to be a part of a church and in fellowship, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. They should preach on these things just like Paul did. After salvation. We don't preach these things at people's doors. We preach salvation at their door and then hopefully we can get them to come in here and we're teaching them, hey, this is how we can live to please God. This is how you can have a better life. This is how uh, we can show our love for God. And so, Verse 1 says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. And understand the faith is not just about faith in Jesus for salvation, but the faith is often used in reference to doctrine as a whole. And there's a lot of examples of that in the Bible. We are to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered. If you want to know what the faith is, it's not just the death, burial, and resurrection, it's the teaching of the Scripture. It's accurate teaching of the Scripture. And we are to contend for the faith. And somebody who is newly saved, we don't ever want to forget this, they are going to be weak in the faith. There is, you're not just going to get somebody saved and they're just going to be downloaded with all scriptural information. And you have people too in some churches, somebody comes walking in, they visit a church for the first time and they're grilling them on doctrines and, and things. And it's like, you can't do that. You, if they are weak in the faith, if they are newly saved, there are so many things they're not going to understand. Oh, he is of God, he God's words. No, that doesn't mean they're just, they automatically are going to understand everything. If they come from a false religion or just a church that was very weak in the faith or weak in doctrine, they're going to have a lot of baggage that they're carrying because they've heard a lot of things. They've got a lot of wrong words and thoughts in their minds that they're going to carry over. And so if somebody comes in the church and they seem like they're all goofy on doctrine, but, it, but at the same time, too, they're professing salvation in the right gospel. And even if they're not doing that, we ought to give them a chance to try to get them so we can try to get them saved. But if we're convinced someone is saved, okay, and they want to, uh, and they've been baptized and they want to be a part of this church, we should be very willing and anxious and ready to bring them in. And understand, too, the faith. It's not just about doctrine and what your position is on things, but it's also in reference to our manner of life and the way that we live. And people who are new in salvation and newly saved, they're probably going to have a lot of baggage in their life. They're probably going to be involved in a lot of things that you and I wouldn't be involved in and still struggling with different sins. But when we see people come in and they're truly saved and they have a desire to live for the Lord... We ought, it ought to just be automatic, default settings. They're our brother. We receive them. We love them. We care about them. We treat them like everybody else. But then notice what he says, but not to doubtful disputations. Now, if they want to come in here and argue with us about certain things, if they want to argue with us about certain doctrine, then we don't have to deal with that. We don't have to put up with that. It's one thing if somebody's like, you know, I've never heard any teaching on standards. I don't know anything about this subject. You know, I, you know, they come walking in with an NIV Bible. 
I mean, folks, where else are they going to hear the truth around here about Bible versions? They're not going to hear it anywhere else. We're not going to throw them out if, they're just, if they come in here with the wrong Bible or something like that. Now, if they want to come in here and argue with us about why they think the NIV is just as good, if they come in here with an agenda, no one should ever go into an, to a church with an agenda like that. That is not right. And so, uh, uh, not to doubtful disputations. We're not going to just let somebody come in here, cause division. But if somebody has an attitude that they are ready to learn, we should receive them. And many saved people are very weak for a lot of reasons. And so, we ought to try to strengthen them. We ought to try to help them out. But anyone who comes in here hoping to argue or hoping to straighten us out, we don't have to put up with that. And let me tell you, it takes an off-the-charts level of pride and arrogance for someone to go to into any established church and think that they will change things according to their personal beliefs. And, that, and you are arrogant whether you are right or wrong about your beliefs. Just understand that. If you, listen, I mean, you know, I've talked about it before. I, th- I think pre-trib churches are wonderful. And people ask me, could you go to a pre-trib church? It's like, ah, I, I, you know, I'd get annoyed by that. I would get really annoyed listening to somebody get up and say, people, we've got to support Israel. I, I just, ah, man, I think there's a lot of people that, are, that you know, go to those churches that good people love the Lord. I, I'd, I'd struggle putting up with that. But let me tell you something. I would never, I, I, I'm saying me personally, as somebody who's pastored, if for some reason... I was to quit pastoring. I would never, ever, ever go to some other church that was pre-trib, pro-Israel, whatever, and try to change them. I am not so arrogant as to think I could do that or it would be my place to do that. That church has been there for years. They have a doctrinal statement. They've got, you know, they've got all these things. I'm not going to go in there and try to change them. And if I did, I'm pretty wicked. I should probably get kicked out of that church. I would probably... So that's why, you know, it's nice pastoring. I don't have to worry about it. But then too, you know, I would just, if I just, if I can't stand it, I'll go find a place where they teach it right. And thank God those places are out there. Or I try to help somebody get something started that that preaches it right. But it, it is, and we've had people come in here who knew that they were different on things than me. And that's fine. I'll be gracious. But then, but then to go and try to change things from within. To do things behind the scene, to undermine, to cause to cause division, that is wicked, and no one should do that. Whether you're right or wrong, I have talked to many people before who have told me about churches they were going to, and they're kind of working on the pastor. And I tell them, you don't know, don't do that. Do not go into some church and they do, and they know because they know I agree with them, and so it's like they think I'm gonna like to hear that. No, you know what? If anybody is listening to you, listen to me online. And you, you know, go ahead and let me know if you're working on your pastor so I can mark you in case you ever try to come in here. Because I'm telling you, I don't, I don't want people like that in our church. That is, that is wicked. And churches don't need to put up with that. And we can, and, and you say, you say, well, we're the ones strong in the faith. Well, you know what? They might think we're the ones weak in the faith. You know, and, you know, so just understand He's saying those who are weak receive them, but not to doubtful disputations. Don't let them come in disputing, fighting. That's not right. So if people don't like our stand in the King James Bible, and they've been here before. When we first started the church, we had somebody that came in to the church that was, you know, that was giving quite a bit, and we didn't have much coming in at that time. And I remember, you know, he told me what he thought about a few things in the church. One that he, you know, he didn't really, uh, you know, think King James was the only Bible we should use. And you know, I just told him, well, that's the position of this church. It's the only Bible we're going to use. It's the only Bible we're ever going to use. And, you know, he didn't like some of our, our music standards and things we had. And, you know, and I just told him, well, hey, I understand that. But, you know, hey, this church, this is the standards that we're going to have in this church. This is how it's going to be in this church. And you know what? He was decent enough to move on, which is what he should have done. If he would have been a vile, wicked person, he would have stayed and tried to slip things in and undermine. But he, and so, but he at least had the decency to move on, and that's what people ought to do. 
And so verse 2, so because right now what he's about to do, he's about to get into some specific things <clears throat> that, uh, to illustrate one who is weak. Now understand, in our American culture, we're not going to see a lot of this specific thing that is mentioned. But he says, For one believeth that he may eat all things. <clears throat> Another who is weak eateth herbs. <clears throat> Got a frog in my throat. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. In some religions and cultures, they make a really big deal about diet. And that would have been something they would have faced a lot with all these Jews coming in. All these Jews getting saved. I mean, the diet was really important under the law. And now, as Christians in America, most of us have never dealt with this kind of thing. You know, in America, people eat whatever, and we don't really care. You know, our culture doesn't have a whole lot of that stuff. But back then, this would have been a very common thing. And in many parts of the world today, there are many places in the world where if, uh, a lot of countries, if somebody wanted to be a missionary there, they better watch out what they eat in front of people in their communities because they could really give themselves a bad reputation. They could really offend people that they're trying to reach. And so uh, there are many places in the world where this very thing is very relevant and we need to watch out for it. But I'm telling you, you're going to have a tough time finding someone to offend with what you eat in this community. And I'm thankful for that because uh, there's a lot of things that I enjoy eating that are offensive in many places in the world. And, uh, and I like bacon. Hey, man. But anyway, <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so this liberty, though, pro- yeah, yeah, the liberty we have with our diet probably hasn't helped our physical health. Because, you know, Christians, you know, we're not much different than the world, physically speaking. You know, we do. We're, we, we all struggle in our diet. But at the same time, you know, uh, it is. It's one of those things where it's not religiously wrong to eat a bunch of Monsanto, GMO, you know, high fructose corn syrup, whatever. You're not religiously doing anything wrong. Now, as far as your health and nutrition, I don't know enough about that stuff to tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. But at the same time, too, um, it's, it's not, it's, you know, it's, we're not violating anything religiously, I guess. But again, we could be crossing lines into damaging the temple, gluttony, you know, when it comes to just overindulging in things that are so negative to the health. But it, and it, and it is hard. In America, it's hard to eat right and healthy because the unhealthy stuff is so stinking good and the, and it's cheap. You know, and with Bidenomics going on, you know, we need the cheap stuff. You know, and so, and, and, and let me tell you, it doesn't work. They're always saying, well, you know, the minority communities and people on welfare, they're all struggling with obesity. And what's the solution? The solution is always, let's give them more money. So they'll buy healthier things. It never works. It never works. What do they do? They raise it and then they buy even more of the junk food. And that's just how it is. So verse 4, but again, they weren't really having this problem. We've got a, we've got a new type of problem today with that. But back then, it was a kind of a different situation. But in verse 4, notice what he says. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. And one of the greatest and most liberating things that a Baptist can learn, and many Baptists have never learned this wonderful truth, that I'm telling you, if you could learn this truth, you are going to drop 50 pounds of burden from your life. 50 pounds of spiritual burden that a lot of people are carrying around. You will drop it from your life when you learn what is your business when it comes to what other people do. That is is so liberating. The last thing that we ever want to do is become a church where everybody is policing each other on dumb stuff. Now, listen, there is a difference between provoking one another to love and good works. You know, there's a way we can do that without judging like he's talking about doing here. There, there, is, there, is, there is a line that we can cross. And if we could learn when... We should step in, and when we should just mind our own stinking business, you will relieve yourself of a lot of burdens. I have had to talk to people before 
who, thank God, are no longer here, who were greatly burdened with problems that people had in this church that were in no way, shape, or form anything they should ever be worrying about. And I, I just had to tell them, listen, that's not your problem. That's not your problem. Why are you burdened with this? Why are you struggling in this area? Listen, there are, and when you're a pastor, you know, one of the worst parts of the job is confronting people and just, when you do, when you, it really stinks. I remember one day I got a phone call. I, I've told people this story, I've, I've told this story before years ago. I got a phone call that someone in our church, it was in the newspaper, had got in a drunk driving accident and it, it was in the paper and it was terrible. I'm like, okay. And first off, I was devastated when I heard the name and, and I was like, my, I, I wanted to throw up thinking, I don't want to, you know, chew this person out. I don't like chewing people out. I really don't. You might not be able to tell the way I preach, but I don't like chewing people out. And I was like, I'm going to have to call and I'm going to have to get onto this person. And I'm like, man, I can't believe this. And the person, they weren't trying to be a tattletale, but they read it in the newspaper. And so I went and I, I was, I was trying to look up the story online. And then they called me up and I'm like, pastor, I just noticed something. It's not the one from our church. They just had the same name. The age was completely different. And it, but it was, it was the same, it, and it was relative. Uh, but it was the same name. And I remember just, whew, you know, one, I was glad they didn't do it because that was bad. But two, I, I did not want to have to do that. And let me tell you, when I find out I've got to confront somebody for something wrong, I will do it because it is my job, but I hate it. It's times like that when I have to confront people where my attitude is, you know what, I like the preaching, I like studying my Bible, but I hate pastoring sometimes. I hate that part. It stinks. I don't enjoy it one bit. And so when there is a, when somebody has a problem and I know for a fact this is not, this is none of my business, it is not my problem, I don't have to do anything, I'm just like, yes. It's a great feeling. It's like when kids are screaming in a restaurant. Some people get stressed out. I'm just thrilled if it's not my kid because it's not my problem. Because I've been there before when it was my kid screaming in the restaurant. And that's really stressful because you need to do something about it. And so whenever I'm in a store, when I see a kid screaming, freaking out, and the parents are looking all embarrassed and awkward, I like to give them the friendly, hey, it's okay, smile. You know what? Because I feel your pain. I know what it's like. And I do. It gives me a good feeling to know there's a problem and it is not mine to deal with. But you know what? we got a lot of people that love to stress themselves out and get all bent out of shape over things that aren't their problems. It's just, it's a, it's a human nature thing, but when you've done my job as long as I've done it, man, you love when something's not your problem because you just get, you get tired of dealing with things sometimes. And if you can learn what is yours to deal with and what isn't, boy, you will, you will drop a weight from your life that will bless you so much. I'm so glad it is not my place to just judge what everybody does in their homes. I'm glad I don't have to deal with all that, but yet people will get so upset and so stressed out. Do you find out what you know, movie so-and-so watched? No, and don't tell me. I might snipe them from the pulpit if you tell me about that. I don't want to know about that. I'm not going to police that. You know, and they just you know, the, the stuff people try to tattle about sometimes. Fortunately, we, we haven't had a whole lot of tattle tattletales in this church and I'm, I'm thankful for that but i'm sure there's things to be tattled on but you know, you know i think most of our church knows what you should tattle on and what you should because there are some things okay trust me if we find if we find out we got a pedophile in the church somebody needs to let me know okay if somebody strangles somebody in the church you got to let me know okay <laughs> and that's a real problem that happens sometimes and people don't tell me about it and it's like you know here's the thing too sometimes as a pastor we, we're, we're pretty sure, we're 99.9% .9 sure that someone in the church is wicked, but we don't always have the goods on them to drop the hammer on them. And I'm not going to drop the hammer on somebody when I don't have the goods on them. So a lot of times, you know, if, if you were capable, if you're capable of this, of just bringing something to me and saying, Pastor Tommy, this might not be a big deal, but I just... I, this is what I saw. This is what happened. I wanted to let you know. And if you if you can trust me to just do what needs to be done with that information, because what you brought 
might not be enough to hang someone with. But if I get the same thing from three or four other people, you know, and you haven't collaborated with each other, then that will give me that would give me what I need. But a lot. But here's what typically happens when some, when you after you find out somebody's wicked after the damage has been done, then all of a sudden everybody comes. Yeah, I had this evidence. And it's like, well, I could have used that six months ago. So just, you know, but here's the problem, though. A lot of times pastors don't want to hear anything because, you know, let's say Brother Aaron, maybe he's just got a problem with Brother Chris and he comes to me with something. And then if I, he doesn't see me act on it immediately, then he's just questioning whether I'm even pastoring the church like I'm supposed to and all these things. And, you know, and it's like, you know, he needs to be able to bring whatever he needs to bring to me. And then trust me when it comes to dealing with it. And a lot of times when people come to the pastor, if he doesn't do exactly what they think he should do, then they just, you know, write him off as a failure of a pastor and all that. And that's not fair. That's not right. Uh, and, uh, and so a lot of times, too, you got to remember, you're just one witness on something, too. So, so uh, you know, keep all these things in mind. But it says, Who art thou that judges another man's servant to his own master? He standeth or falleth. Yea, he should be holding up, but God shall be able to make him stand. So when he says this here, he's saying this too because, hey, this is a situation where it's not your place to judge. What that person eats, that is between them and God. So this is clearly not an area where you need to judge. This is not your place. So leave him alone. And there are, there are many things that are between an individual and God, and we need to leave those things between an individual and God. It's not our place to judge. And notice how he says, I literally had somebody do this one time with me. It really blew my mind. I won't tell you what type of persuasion of IFB that they were, but they literally, I was calling out judging things that aren't your place to judge. And I think it was from this chapter, if I remember correctly. And they were like, you know, the Bible does say he that spiritual judges all things. Like, are you kidding me? And it's like, because here's the thing. Let me just help you all out with that in case anybody that else here is that dumb. Right? I don't think anybody is. But when it says, he that is spiritual judgeth all things, it's in the context of all, meaning spiritual and natural things. Okay? We're able to judge both or all, spiritual and the natural things because we are a natural man, but we also are a spiritual man too. While the natural man can only judge the natural, they are not able to judge the spiritual, but we can judge all when meaning spiritual and natural. This does not mean you are allowed to judge all situations. That is not what it means. And so uh, that is a horrible, horrible use of the scripture. There's a lot of ignorance out there. And so, and, and, you know, and the other thing too, cause it, it, you know, it doesn't, you know, we, we all can't, but help, but judge in our minds. Okay. Well, let's just face it. We all make judgments in our mind. You know, we all see, you know, you might see somebody's outfit and in your mind, that's ugly. You know, you might see some woman do a new hairdo and you as a man that is not her husband might think that is hideous. I would never let my wife do that. But guess what? The other woman's hairdo is not your place to judge. And so I get it. You made a judgment in your mind, but you ought to keep that to yourself. Maybe you can tell your wife so she doesn't get the same idea and go and do the same thing. Like if all, if all the women are getting the Karen do or something like that, you know, you might want to say, hey, I know it's like all the women in the church are getting the Karen do. You better not do that. And I knew a church one time where like all the women were getting the Karen do. It was like every woman in that church got the Karen do. It was like, what in the world is it? It's like a cult or Karen cult or something. And that was before everybody, that was back when it was first becoming a thing before it got the stereotype attached to it. But uh, thankfully, a lot of women are figuring out you don't want to do that. But e- either way, you know, even though I judged that church as having a bunch of Karens in there, you know what? It would have been wrong for me to go publicly blasting them. I won't even say what church it was right now because it's not, it's not, it's just, it's not my place to judge that. But again, the thought went through my mind. I told my wife, all the women in that church have that hairdo. I hate that hairdo. Don't you ever do that hairdo. You know, and, and so you can do that with your wife, but you know, we got to learn when to keep things to ourselves. And, uh, and the thing is too, 
This is what often happens, too, when we judge someone's behavior, let's say. You know, often, another thing we do, we all like to play prophet, okay? And, and folks, you all are Baptists in here. I know you do this, okay? Please don't act, make me feel like I'm the only one in the church that does this thing. But we like to play prophet. And when we see somebody do something, it's like, oh, man, you know, this is going to result in this and this and this. And we, like, talk about all the turmoil their life is going to face because of that, okay, we, we all do that kind of thing. But here's what happens. Often, even though it wasn't our place to judge, we judge correctly. And we have way too much pride to just keep that to ourselves that we were right. We got a little bit. I knew it. I knew, I knew it. I knew that was going to happen. I saw what they were doing with their children. I knew they were going to turn out rebels. I knew it. I knew this other family too that thought they were better than us because they had higher standards than us. I knew they were going to turn their kids against the things of God and their kids would become the biggest rebels that there are. I knew that was going to happen. But hey, here's another thing too. We all have a million things pop across our minds. Okay, especially you ladies. You know, you're better at keeping track of all these things. And, and, and you know, my wife, she has thought that she is going to have every disease that there has ever been. And someday she will die from something. And when she gets diagnosed, you know what she's going to say? I knew it. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you got one right, but you know, you pick 7,000 things you're going to die of. You know, you're eventually going to be right with one of those. And, and, you know, and people do that too. We think of so many scenarios with people. I think a person going to do this thing, a person going to do that. You know, and they think about 50,000 things somebody's going to do, and then they do one of those things. I knew it. I'm always right. You know, who cares? Who cares? It's not, it wasn't your place to judge. It wasn't your decision to make. Who cares if you were right? You don't need to tell people about that. But we just have to let people know. And why do we have to let people know that we were right? So the next time. So the next time everyone will listen to me. But wait a minute. This isn't, this isn't your place for you to be the boss in this situation. So you know what? How about we keep our judgments to ourselves? But it, it is, it's a hard thing to do. It, and, and I struggle with it as much as anybody. Again, you know, as a preacher, we all think we have the gift of prophecy and can you know, predict everybody's horrible outcomes if they don't listen to our advice and counsel. It, it's hard not to do that. And, and, you know, and a lot of times we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. But sometimes we just have to admit, hey, this isn't our place. And we've got to move on. And so people will, they will, they will use the fact they were right about some things as justification to make themselves judge of the world. And we do, you know, we've got, I've got all kinds of armchair pastors that watch me on the internet and are, they've, they've predicted 5,000 things that's going to happen. And then one thing happens, right? I knew it. I could be a pastor. I, I would run this church better than you. I understand all, all these things, but no, that's ridiculous. So what are these things though? He gives us a few examples of things we're not, we don't need to judge. He says, one man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it to the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. And there are some things that are a matter of conscience like what we eat or regarding days. And we could even apply this to things like, you know, dress standards, you know, movie standards, or pretty much any kind of standard. It's a, it's a conscience thing. Some people, some people might be convicted of letting their wife show her elbows. And listen, if that's the case, then you know what? Let's not hate him for making our wives wear long sleeves all the time. You know, just, it's not our place. It's not ours to judge. There might be somebody who gets saved out of Islam or Judaism or something like that, and they just they don't feel right eating bacon. You know what? Let's not despise them for that, and they shouldn't despise us either, who are eating bacon. We ought to we ought to just. But things are uh, there are some things that are a matter of conscience. There are some people they might feel bad participating in certain holidays because it means something to them. There might be some people who. Uh, you know, feel like they should do something on a holiday, some that feel like they shouldn't do something on a holiday. Hey, those things are not commanded. We are not commanded to observe any holidays. 
as New Testament Christians, nor are we forbidden from it either. So at the end of the day, you know, as American Christians, you know, we do. We have typical holidays that we participate in or associated with. But you know what? If somebody comes along and they're like, you know, I'm not really into those holidays, then you know what? We shouldn't force them into it. And you want to know what holiday I'm not into? Patriot Day. And September 11th and all the never forget nonsense. When everybody just talks about, you know, how bad Muslims are and, you know, and let's lift up politicians and soldiers and all that kind of stuff. When I want to talk about our politicians and how wicked they are and the power grab that they did after 9-11. You know, I, want to rem- I, I like to remind people on Patriot Act Day about the Patriot Act. I like to remind them about how you did forget 9-11 because you got scared and you let them give, give away your freedom because you were scared then and you forgot it and you proved it in 2020 when you got scared about a pandemic and you let them take away even more freedom. They forgot 9-11. They forgot all that stuff. But I, I hate it. A lot of churches do patriotic stuff on September 11th. I, I can't stand that. And you know what? I, I could be wrong. I don't remember anybody doing that goofy stuff where they bring in law enforcement and firemen and politicians. And they, I don't remember anybody doing any of that junk before September 11th. It was after September 11th I started seeing a lot of Baptist churches do that kind of thing. I personally am repulsed by that. You know what? It's their church. They can do what they want to do. But we're not doing that here. And if our church ever decides, you know, we want to do that, we want to have law enforcement Sunday or whatever, you know what, you all can do it while I go take a vacation that week. Because I just, I, I don't want to participate. And I think, it's, I, think it's, I think it's goofy, I think it's a bunch of hooey. And you know what, I'm sick of these made-up holidays that are just costing more and more money. We're expected to do something like Father's Day and Mother's Day and Valentine's Day. And, you know, and my wife back there, she's like, she likes all those things. But it's like, you know, it, it, it's amazing the pressure that we are put on. But understand... We are. We're under pressure on Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know, all these things. But it's not from church. You know, it's not from church. It's from the card companies and from retailers. They're the ones that put all that on us. But as a church, we shouldn't force these things on people. And so, in verse 9, it says, For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that He might be Lord both of the dead and living. And so, because Christ paid for our sins, He can judge us as He sees fit and not according to the law. That's what He's showing here. See, because first off, that law condemned everyone, didn't it? But now, we are not under the law, and it doesn't mean that God does not care about any of those things in the law. But understand that you know Jesus, because He paid for sins, when He does see us fail... He's able to take into consideration the fact that somebody might not know any better. There's some people that have just never been taught certain things. They've never been taught certain types of behavior. And so if they mess up, if they fail in some area, for example, I, don't, I, I do not believe we ought to take God's name in vain. That's one of the Ten Commandments. But understand, somebody who just newly gets saved, if they had a bad habit of doing that, they might occasionally let some blasphemy slip out of their mouth. And because Jesus Christ paid for their sins, he's able to take into consideration, hey, they're a new believer. He'll convict them with the Holy Spirit. But you know what? He's not going to come down on them as hard as somebody like me who was trained from the time I was able to talk not to talk a certain way. I mean, I, I was taught from the time I was a little kid, you don't say certain words, you don't cuss, you don't use God's name in certain ways. It is, it's a much bigger deal if somebody like, like me does that. And so because Jesus is a high priest, he's able, to, he's able to judge and he's able to do what needs to be done. And so there's some things when it comes to, you know, it, it, it's between them and God and let Jesus judge them. It's not our place to judge them. And so, if, you know, if you know better though, he'll probably judge you differently because to whom much is given, much is required. And we are all fools to think we can judge on behalf of Christ. So verse 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And there are some things 
that I will not give account for. So it is foolish for me to try to waste my time with those things. Well, there are plenty of things I will give an account for and I ought to pay attention to those things. And I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in a pastor's home and I remember often seeing people in our church. I would, I noticed people, I'd see them in public dressing the way they shouldn't do it. I remember the, the one time I saw somebody from our church smoking and I could not believe I like, man, my dad preaches against smoking. What in the world are these people doing smoking? And I, I went and I told my dad, I would go tell my dad what these people were doing. And you know what? My dad's like, you know what? It's not my job to make these people do these things. It's my job to preach the truth. And I will give an account for what I preach. But there are some things that when it comes to what is done, it is between you and God. And I will not give an account for your actions in those situations. I will just give, I, as a pastor, I'll just give an account for what I preach. Now, if it is something I'm supposed to act on, I'll give an account. But again, a lot of these things, it's not, it's not my place. And so uh, I'm going, I, I try to only worry about things that I'm going to give an account for. And so I, I, I do. I think there, there's a lot of stuff that people shouldn't do that would be wrong. That, but it's just, it's not, I'm trying to think of a good example. But, uh, you know, if, so if you have, if you're somebody who, you know, used to take extra napkins from fast food restaurants so you don't have to have to buy any of your own, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's right. But I'm pretty sure I don't have to enforce that if, you know, if somebody in the church is taking too many napkins. I, and I don't know if anybody does anything like that. But, you know, and you're, you're taking a few extra forks and plastic forks and spoons and things. You know, that, that's stealing. That's stealing. But, you know, it's going to be hard for me to prove those things. And uh, I'm just going to let God deal with you on that. Okay, I, that, that's, that's petty theft. You know, if you're somebody that's, uh, uh, well... Anyway, enough of those examples. But <laughs> verse 13, so it says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And what we should be careful to judge is how our personal behavior affects other people. We don't want to be a negative influence. We don't want to offend. And notice what he says. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And so right here we see that one's conscience determines whether something is or is not a sin to him. There are some people, again, that think eating swine is a sin. If they eat it thinking it is sinful, then you know what? It's sinful. I remember when I was a little kid, we went to visit somebody. They had just had a baby and their dad brought us chocolate cigars. And I remember as a kid, I'm like, man, I don't know if we should be eating these. These are like fake cigars. I mean, yeah, my dad, he was very much against smoking. And, but I wanted it too. It was chocolate. And so I, but you know what? I wasn't sure. And I, but I held on to it and I waited until my dad got back. To the waiting room and I was like dad um, he gave us these chocolate cigars that's like I was like is it okay to eat them he's like yeah that's fine I was like okay okay you know once I got okay from dad I was like and man that thing was fantastic it was it was it was really fantastic but you know if I would have just like you know when I wasn't sure it was right for me to eat that if my parents would want me to do that if I would have went and just hurried up and ate it without them knowing it do you know I would have been sinning at that moment, because in my mind, I was doing something that I thought was wrong. And therefore, it would have been wrong. And uh, there are. So for some people to eat certain things, do certain things, it would be a sin for them while it wouldn't for somebody else. And so, and then also, goes on to say, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Now, if there had been another kid in the room and I and his parents would have been offended. You know, he would be offended by that. His parents would be like, "No, you're we're so against smoking. You're not even allowed to eat chocolate cigars." You know what? I shouldn't. I shouldn't eat it in front of him. I should act like I threw it away, hide it, and then later when I you know get out to my car, then I eat it. You know, and you know, and there, there you know, there's, you know, there's we got to be careful. Have you ever bought sparkling grape juice from Walmart? And, you know, and you feel a little dirty carrying it through the store. It's like, you know, you usually try to bury it under stuff. 
Because, you know, you don't want to have a bad testimony, but that stuff's fantastic. But it looks bad. I, I remember that I used to drink these sparkling water drinks that were really good. And, and uh, one of the kids in our church when I was at Lighthouse, uh, they part, his parents parked by our vehicle and he like looked in our window and he saw that bottle there and he thought it was alcohol. And he's just like, Mom, Brother Tommy drinks beer. <laughs> And, and they went and they looked at us like they were like, that's not beer. That's, you know, and, but, you know, it, it, to him it looked like it. And, you know, we, all, we need to watch out for that. I, I would never want to offend somebody and even make them think I was doing something sinful. And so it says, let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The things of God are not about the things of the flesh. So while I might get great pleasure in drinking sparkling grape juice... Just understand, you know what? I'm better off without it if it's going to offend somebody. Now, I hope we don't have anybody that's so weak here that I can't drink sparkling grape juice, all right? But at the same time, if you do, if you're offended by that because you think it looks like alcohol, all right, I'm going to try not to drink it around you because I, I don't want to offend you, weakling. <laughs> but, you know, no, we don't want to have that attitude towards people. We, and we ought to, we, we need to be careful on that. And so, because again, it's, just, it's not about the flesh. I can do without, I can live without sparkling grape juice. I should be able to live, if I go and I become a missionary in a Muslim country, I should be able to live without bacon. I should be able to survive without that. I love bacon. It's a big part of my life. But I should be able to do without it. And if I really care about their souls and I know it will be an offense to them and cause them to not listen to me, I should do without it. I should be willing to do without it because their souls are much more important. It says, For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. And if these men are serving Christ with their diet or whatever, they are acceptable to God. So let's not damage them. Let's not, let's not hurt them. And it said, most of us probably won't have to worry about this living in America, but some parts of the world you'd have to worry about this. So let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For me, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. And this is the same concept that we see in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-27. I'm not going to read it. Where Paul said to the Jew, I became his Jews. To them that are without the law is without the law, yet not without law to God. And that's it, because he's not going to do things that will offend people that he's trying to reach with the gospel. He doesn't want to preach to somebody and then be rejected or be cast away by them because he offended them in some cultural thing that he did. And we don't want to be culturally offensive to people when we go souling. When we go to those one apartments in Rock Island where there's people from all over the countries, I learned if you're talking to a Muslim lady and she's standing out of sight where you can't see her, don't peek in and look. She's not wearing her head covering and not supposed to see her that way. And I did that one time. I thought it was rude. I'm like, her husband's right there. I'm talking to her most of the time, but I'm not looking at her. I feel like that's rude when you're talking to somebody looking. So I just kind of got where I could see her and I didn't see anything inappropriate. She was fully clothed to my standards, but not to her. She didn't have her. And then, you know, later she like, it's like, you know what? You're actually not supposed to be seeing me right now because I'm not wearing my head covering. And I was like, oh. And I I stepped outside. I don't want to offend them. I I don't don't want to offend somebody in that situation. I think think the head covering thing is stupid. You know what, ladies? I think all of you, I can see all your hair. I can see your head. And you know what? I don't think you're doing any sin. I don't think God is upset with you in any way, shape, or form by that. But if to you it's sin, then you know what? You ought to keep your head covered. And then once you figure out that it's okay, then you can take the head covering off. And by the way, I do believe women ought to have their head covered. It's called long hair. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches. not going to go there. But anyway, so verse 22, Hold fast, or, or hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And this is interesting too, because if these beer-drinking trendies that are out there really believe the Bible, they would not flaunt their alcohol consumption which is what they all do. You know, you've got church split guys that are always defending their drinking of alcohol. Who will drink alcohol right while they're doing their podcast? Talking about the Bible. You know, but listen, you realize how many people that's offensive to? First off, I am 100% convinced that Christians should not drink alcohol. 
I'm 100% convinced of that. But here's the thing too, though. Look what it says in verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If you are not 100% convinced that something is not a sin, then you shouldn't do it. Okay? If, if you're like, you want, I'm pretty sure it's okay for Christians to drink alcohol, but I'm not real sure. It's a sin for you if you do it. If you doubt, it, it, then it, it would be a sin for you. So the thing is, are these guys 100% sure that it is appropriate to drink alcohol? I mean, 100% sure. And then even if they are, they don't even take into consideration that that is going to offend a lot of people. Oh, and so it just it goes to show that they are about turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Uh, that's all these people do. And so, you know, I can't imagine any scenario where I would promote drinking alcohol or taking drugs. There's no health benefits. There's definitely no spiritual benefit. And without a doubt, drinking or drugs can definitely cause you to violate what we see commanded in Romans 14 as being offensive. And so the thing is, this chapter is teaching us, hey, let's think more about others than ourselves. Ultimately, that's what this chapter is about. Let's think about others rather than ourselves. Let's not worry about judging everyone. Not necessarily in the sense of, again, we're going to have thoughts, we're going to make judgments, but when we're trying to bring the hammer down on people, there are some things that are not our place. Therefore, not only are we not going to do anything about it, but we're not even, in some situations, it might not be right for us to even give our opinion. You know, if it's something that just has nothing to do with us. And um, again, you know, I do. I, I find it liberating, too, when, you know, there's problems. You know, not that I want to hear about problems in other churches, too. But it's like when people are getting all worried about something going on in another church, it's like, I, I feel a great peace in knowing that's not my problem. That's, that's not my place. You know, I don't have to judge this. You know what? When when guys like Greg Locke preach stupid, crazy, off-the-wall stuff, you know what? I, I find comfort in the fact that, you know what? I never did support that guy. I never did fellowship with that guy. I've never liked that guy. You know what? His problems are not my problem. I am in no way connected to that. And therefore, you know, I, I find it liberating. And... It is. It's, we've got to learn to just kind of figure out what's our business and what's, our, what's not our business because we've got enough to worry about in our own lives, in our own church. You know, we've got to be careful getting caught up in other churches' business and all that kind of stuff. It, it's just a burden we don't need to carry. So we've got to learn what is ours to judge. And there are some things are between individuals and God. Some things are between you know, their families. Some things are between other people. And we just got to learn to stay in our lane. And if we do, we'll be much more productive in our Christian life. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this, this chapter and the instruction. I pray you help us to follow it. I pray, you, Lord, you'll help us to be a people who provoke others to love and good works. But I pray you'll help us also to have the wisdom and the discernment uh, to know uh, when to stay in our lane and uh, when to stay out of things. And I pray you'll help us to be a force for good and not a negative influence on people. I pray you'll help us never to be offensive to people and to be someone that, that causes others to sin or fall, but help us to be a good example in these areas. In your name we pray. Amen.